Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Welcome to Fresh Encounter, the radio ministry of Lifelong Anointing Church. Our mission as a church is to equip the body of Christ to increase in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and with men. We're glad that you joined us for this edition of the broadcast. It is our prayer that this broadcast will be a blessing to you. Here now is Pastor Otuno with today's message. Now, as we approach the end of the year and look forward to the starting of a new one, I think it is fitting for us to look hard at ourselves, our families, and the work of our hands to see, you know, our relationship with the Almighty God and ask ourselves what we think we will do differently that will take us to the next level. In other words, we cannot continue to do the same thing and expect to see a different result. You cannot expect to be able to move up, to be able to see ourselves prospering, to be able to see ourselves seeing God move in a different way if we keep doing the same thing that we're doing. So the question that we should be asking ourselves this morning will be, what must I do differently to go to the next level? What must I do differently to be able to experience God differently? What must I do differently to be able to see God move on my behalf? What must I do differently in my place of work so that I can get that promotion I'm looking for? What must I do differently that will make my life a lot better, a lot more productive in the new year? What must I do to get into the next level? We all need to ask this question of ourselves. And let me suggest one thing to you, that if we hope to, if we hope to make the new year that we're looking up to in less than 60 days, if we're hoping to make that year a productive and rewarding year, if we want to make progress and advance our life, there is a need for us not only to deal with some of the issues that are in our lives that have the tendency of holding us back, but it's important for us to confront and resolve the issues that are going on inside of us. Remember what the Bible tells in the book of Proverbs, as a man thinks, so he is. In other words, whatever is going on inside of you will find a way to affect what is going on outside. Whatever is happening inside of you will reflect itself in the way you talk to people, in the way you do your job, in the way you relate with your friends, in the way you even talk to God. Whatever is going on inside will find a way to express itself outside. So if we are going to be able to make progress, if we are going to be able to have victory, if we are going to be able to advance ourselves, it is very important that we not only confront, but we must resolve whatever trouble we have inside. Okay? Issues of the heart that will limit our progress. Issues of the heart that unfortunately is still limiting our progress. We have to be able to deal with those issues. We have to be able to resolve them. In other words, we must win the battles of the mind if we are going to make progress and make meaningful progress in the new year. I have said it here before and I will say it again. Until we win the battles of the mind, progress will be short-lived. And the reason is because if you have a particular behavior, if you have a particular attitude, if you have a particular, a particular disposition, you will find out that even when you are given opportunities, you will find out that those particular habits will continue to work against you. A person who is lazy, even if you are given a place of authority, you will find out that that laziness will find a way to corrupt what you are doing. 
a person who is prone to lying, a person who is prone to one particular vice, you will find out that no matter how well prepared you are given a spot, that thing will find a way to come out. Unless you deal with it. Unless you deal with it. So, until we win the battles of the hearts, you will find that progress will be short-lived. Because the same issue will keep reoccurring, just like I said. Until we win the battles over the issues that are holding us back, there will be gap between what we are expecting and what we are experiencing. There was a person that was joking. He says that a lot of all this, he says a lot of ladies are looking for real men. But if you look at their head, they have fake hair. If you look at their nails, they have fake fingers. Sometimes you look at you look at them. There's a lot of fake things all over. You say now they are wondering why they are admitting fake men. <laughs> you know because everything about them is fake. <laughs> the point I'm making is that if you don't deal with the issues of the heart, there is a strong tendency that what you are experience, what you are expecting, and what you are experiencing, there will be a gap between it. You're looking for something, but the reality of what you're getting will be different because there is something that is causing that gap to exist. And that is the issues that are going on inside our hearts. What I'm saying is that until we win the battles of life, victory in life may be elusive. Victory at the place of work may be elusive. Because if you don't deal with that anger, if you don't deal with the way you talk to people anyhow... If you go to the place, a place of your work and you see people initially, they come around you, they love you, they relate with you, but as soon as you open your mouth, they see the kind of crap that comes out of it, they start stepping away. So you find unless you deal with that particular issue, victory in life becomes elusive. Until we win the battles of the heart, we will not be able to make, the, make use of the best opportunities that God is presenting to us. God may give you a lot of opportunities. He's going to give us a lot of opportunities. He's going to open new doors unto us. But your ability to successfully walk through those doors is a function of you being ready to walk through them. No matter how much a father likes a son, if the son does not prepare how to drive, you can give him the most expensive car. He will not be able to drive the car. He will not be able to. The same thing, God can give us opportunities. God will open doors. But unless you are prepared to take advantage of that thing, you may not be able to use it. You may not be able to get it. Until we win the battles of the heart, we may be stuck in a vicious cycle of limitation that seems impossible to break. Why do I keep getting into the wrong relationship? Why do I keep getting into the wrong meeting, the wrong set of people? Why is it that the only people I attract are the people who will continue to abuse and mess me up? Why? Something is inside of me that is attracting those people to me. Until you deal with it, you may continue to have that same vicious cycle. Okay? Many of us are feeling like that already. Many of us are in that particular situation right now. And that is why for the past couple of weeks we have been dealing with the theme of winning the battles of the heart. And for the next couple of weeks we are going to continue to deal with it. Because I am convinced that as long as there is trouble in the heart, as long as the heart is not settled, success in life will be elusive. As long as there is turbulence inside your spirit, as long as the heart is not settled, as long as there is a lot of distraction going on, as long as you are not able to focus on what God wants you to focus, you will find out that you will not be able to concentrate your efforts. And victory becomes elusive. Okay? 
So today we are looking at a very strong battle that is going on in the heart of thousands and millions of people in our society today. It's a raging battle in the heart of people and that battle, if we are going to make success of life, we must win that battle and that is the battle over unforgiveness. The battle over unforgiveness. I have said it many times here that we live in a society that is very, very unforgiving. Very unforgiving. This is a society that remembers everything you do. Even when you think that they are not looking. Now it is good for a society to remember the things that people do, especially the criminal elements in our society. It is good for us to keep record so that we can keep check of those people so that they don't mess up the lives of the good law-abiding citizens. It is good to be able to keep a check on those people. But when a society keeps record of the wrong that is done for the purpose of hurting or undermining the progress of a citizen or the pro- undermining the progress of one another, we have a problem. If all I'm doing is just keeping tab of all the mistakes you make with the intention of using it against you, we have a problem. If in the house of God, the only thing we are looking for is the mistake or the missteps that some of us are making or the things that we are doing to each other. If that is all we are doing, we are not going to move forward. And that is why the issue of unforgiveness is very, very difficult. It's very, very serious. I've often joked here that if for some reason you decide to run for an office of a dog catcher in your community, and for some reason you are walking your dog maybe 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago, and your dog kind of, kind of cracked somewhere and you forgot to pick it up, or you picked it up or refused to dispose it properly, and some Yahoo along the way was able to see you that this is what you did, and then the day you announce that you want to become the dog catcher, you will be surprised how the video will show up. That your dog cracked and you refused to pick it up. Or your dog cracked, you, 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 you didn't dispose it properly. Okay? You will be surprised how that thing will surface. That is what I'm referring to when people begin to hold offenses, with hold stuff with the intention of using it against the other person. No matter how careful I am on this pulpit every Sunday and I spew this, uh, all these things that I say here every Sunday, I say all this kind of thing. If somebody is sufficiently motivated... And somebody is sufficiently pissed at me. They will find something that they can use. Okay? The point I'm making is this. The point I'm making is this. This society where we find ourselves is a very unforgiving society. And the result of that destructive spirit of unforgiveness is seen in our culture because in the way we are polarized now. People can talk to each other. Because they have this idea that it is my way or no other way. Okay? The result of these very corrosive tendencies of not letting things go is seen in the way that groups are trying to destroy each other. Families trying to destroy each other. Husbands trying to destroy their wife. The wife trying to destroy the husband. The children working against each other because we have this tendency of not letting things go. We just want to make sure that we have the final say. Now, if this unforgiving spirit is found in the life of an individual, is found in the life of an individual, we find that it becomes very, very toxic, and that's why families that are living in unforgiveness, that's why they are breaking up. Because you just cannot let go of a single thing. They fight it so much that at the point in time you now begin to wonder what even started this mess. You can't even remember anymore. You have fought so long you can't remember what caused the fight anymore. Okay. When the individual lives a life of unforgiveness, what you find is that there will be disconnection and isolation. Because you are holding so much grudge against somebody that you are not willing to let go, what happens is that you are disconnected from that person and that you are isolated from the rest of the people. 
Not only that, when individuals live a life of unforgiveness, what you see is not just the disconnection or the isolation, you see the depression resulting from loneliness. You can't forgive, so you can't relate. And if you can't relate, you live alone. When you live alone, you become lonely. So you find that that is what is going on in our society. When you see that, you begin to see suicidal tendencies as a result of hopelessness and meaninglessness. Because there's nobody to bear the burden of life. There's nobody to share the, share the joys of life with. We keep living as if we are, you know, we are, we are, we are a world unto ourselves. And if you do that, it becomes a problem that goes on inside our heart. And that is why you talk to somebody at work. Just one little thing. You put the file in the wrong place and that person explodes. You say something and they go ballistic. Why? Because there is so much tension inside. And unless you let it go, oh my God, the Lord will help us in Jesus' name. Now, this should not be the situation that should be talked about in the church. It shouldn't be what we should be talking about in the church, especially among the people of God. Because the Bible tells us in the book of Isaiah 43, Isaiah 43, reading from verse number 18, the Bible says, Remember ye not the former things, neither consider the things of old. In other words, the Lord is saying, Let it go. The Lord is saying the same thing in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. If you start reading from verse number 14, He says, Pursue peace with all men. And holiness without which the Lord, without which no man will see the Lord. Look it carefully, lest anyone should fall short of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness spring up, you know, spring up, cause, uh, cause trouble. And by this, many are defiled. In other words, the Lord is saying, let it go. Leave it alone. Forgive. Cleanse your spirit. Live in peace with people. You cannot hold grudges with somebody and still live in peace with that person. No! You have to let it go. Don't hold on to the past. Or else if you continue to hold on to the past, what you are doing is that you are planting something that will eventually defile you. That will make life difficult for you. That will make progress difficult. Now, if this spirit of unforgiveness that I've been describing is only limited to the culture outside, then it will be okay. It's not okay, but at least we can justify it and say because they don't know Christ. That's why they live like that. What about those of us who know Christ? Why is it difficult for us to let go? Why is it difficult for us to forgive? Why is unforgiveness so rampant in our society and even more rampant within the church? Why? Now, before we begin to talk about why, and before we answer that question, let's understand what does it mean to... What what is unforgiveness in the first place? What is unforgiveness in the first place? I don't want to use the standard definition. I want, to, I want us to look at the scriptures and pull out what the Bible describes for us and what unforgiveness looks like. Look at the book of Genesis 27. Genesis 27. I want to start reading. We just want to read one verse, verse number 41. Genesis 27, reading from verse number 41. And Esau hated Jacob because of the blessings where which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand, and I will slay my brother Jacob. Now, for us, for those who might not on the, who might who might not be able to connect that verse, what that you know the background behind that verse is that we have been told there is a particular story. Anybody who have attended a, a Bible uh, well, a Sunday school will know the story of Jacob and Esau. 
Okay? Jacob and Esau, they are two brothers born to Isaac, the son of Abraham. We are told in by Genesis 24 how Isaac married Rebekah, how they had their sons, uh, their Jacob and Esau, the rivalry between the two boys, and the prophecy that the older one will serve the younger one. By the time you get to verse number 27, the Bible tells us that Isaac now grew old. The blessings that Isaac received from Abraham, Isaac now wanted to pass that blessing over to his son Esau. And in the process, the younger son, who is Jacob, very, very cunning, Jacob heard this, heard the story that the father is about to give away something precious. The guy now decided to plan a coup and to overturn his brother and to steal what belongs to his brother. In, in, in connection with the mother, they came up with a plan. They robbed the brother. By the time they robbed the brother, he stole the blessings, got the blessing, and Esau came a little too late. And when he got to the father, he said, Father, give me the blessing. The father said, Sorry, your brother has taken this thing. The guy wept and begged and begged and nothing happened. And eventually, we now got to that verse number 41. And that is, let's look at what the Bible says, what Esau was saying. Esau, and the Bible says Esau hated Jacob because he has stolen from him. Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing where which his father has blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand, and I will slay my brother Jacob. In other words, Esau is saying, I will not forgive this guy for what he has stolen from me. Okay? I will not forgive this guy for what he has done to me. What belongs to me, what is my rightful what is my rightful possession, he has stolen it. And my father is about to die. I'm just going to wait until the guy dies. As soon as he dies, I'm coming for you, Jacob. I'm coming for you. So what is unforgiveness? Looking at this verse of the scripture, what is unforgiveness? The first thing you see from this verse of the scripture is that unforgiveness is a conscious decision of the heart. Very conscious decision. You make up your mind that you are not going to let this thing go. You make up your mind that this person, you have hurt me so badly. You have done something terrible to me. You have made me to be able to weep. You have made me to cry. You have made me to lose something important. You have hurt me in such a way that it touches my spirit. I am not going to let it go. Number one, unforgiveness is a conscious decision of the heart. If you look at that verse of the scripture again, the Bible says that Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father has blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of, the, the days of, my, the days of mourning of my fathers are at hand, and I will slay my brother Jacob. In other words, Esau made a conscious decision in his heart about how he was going to react to Jacob. He made a decision. That you my, bro- you, my friend, I am going to offend you. He's saying that unforgiveness will not go. What you have done to me, I am not going to let it go. That's the first thing you see about unforgiveness. Number two, what is unforgiveness? Unforgiveness is a conscious decision not to let go. It's not just a decision. It's a decision that I'm going to hold on to this thing. I'm not going to let it go. Okay? Esau made a deliberate, determined decision not to let go of what Jacob had done to him. He was saying, Jacob, you are not going to get away with this. That's what he's saying. And that's what we say when we say, I'm not going to forgive you. In other words, I'm going to continue to remember the things that you have done to me. Esau's decision was was a conscious decision to hold on to an offense. Number three, what is unforgiveness? Unforgiveness is a conscious decision to hold on to an offense until such a time that you can add redress, that you, that you can seek redress or obtain what? Obtain your own vengeance. Until such a time that you feel that you, are, you can get even. You are holding on to that thing and you are saying, well, I'm going to hold on to this thing until I'm able to pay you back. I'm holding on to this until I'm able to make sure I do, I do, what, I do to you what you have done to me. 
Esau was now saying, Esau is saying, right now, I may not have the ability. I may not have the power. I may not have the means. My condition may not allow me to pay you back, but I'm going to pay you back. That is what, unfor- that is what unforgiveness is. Basically, unforgiveness is a decision to hold a grudge against someone who has offended us until we are able to get our revenge. That's basically what it is. And the revenge will come in different, different ways. But it is a conscious decision to hold a grudge against someone who has offended us until we are able to seek redress. So, going back to the question we started with, what, why is unforgiveness rampant in the church? Why is it rampant in the society? Why is it that people are having difficulty forgiving others? Why is it difficult to forgive? Let me suggest to you a couple of things. We refuse to forgive because we don't want to give up the feeling of power that unforgiveness gives unto us. How good does it feel if grandma has offended me and I say, grandma, you have offended me. Instead of letting it go, and I know grandma is trying to do something to be able to, pay, you know, to be able to relieve, uh, retra- do, that, uh, do a redress. As long as I continue to bring it to grandma, I know that I'll continue to have that edge because I'll continue to put that guilt upon her. You did this to me, so I have the right to talk to you anyhow, or I have the right to continue to exact this. Or, you know, it kind of it gives us a feeling of power that we have over the individual. There is a power in having something to hold over somebody's head. When you have something that you are holding over somebody, you know their little secret. They have done something and you know and you are holding it. It gives you that kind of power that you don't want to let go. That's one of the reasons why people don't do what? That's one of the reasons why people don't want to forgive. Because they have that, they don't want to let go of that feeling, that edge that they have over that person. Number two, why do we refuse to forgive? We refuse to forgive because we don't want to give up that feeling of self-righteousness. I am better. I am the big boy. I did what is right. You were the one that did something that was wrong. This happens especially in the middle of a relationship. When the husband or the wife have cheated and they have been caught in the act. Okay? And one of the partners now says, after all, you are the one that does this. You are not leaving the marriage, but you are not letting the guy move forward. Because you keep remembering and reminding the guy that you messed up and I will continue to remind you until kingdom come. The feeling, the, 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 the refusal to leave the feeling of, you know, to, 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 to let go of that feeling of self-righteousness. I was better. That is one of the reasons why people don't want to let go. Holding on to another sin, weakness or failure, makes us feel or believe that we are righteous or more mature than they are. Number three, why do people refuse to forgive? We refuse to forgive because we don't want to give up the feeling of entitlement. That unforgiveness gives us over those that, we, that has offended us. I am entitled to be angry. I am entitled to continue to demand your attention. I am con- entitled to continue to manipulate your life. I am entitled to continue to control you because you did X, Y, and Z 20 years ago. Because you did X, Y, and Z 30 years ago. I will continue to hold you accountable for something that you have done donkey years ago. That particular feeling of entitlement, we don't want to let it go. Holding to an offense makes us feel deserving. It makes us feel that we are deserving of what we are asking or what we are demanding out of the life of another person. That's why one of the reasons why people don't want to let go. Number four, why do, we, why, do we, why do we find it difficult to forgive? We find it difficult to forgive because of the leverage. We don't want to give up the leverage that unforgiveness 
give to us. In other words, I have an edge over you. I have a leverage to manipulate. I have a leverage to control. Because I know that you have done something. And if, as, as you continue to apologize, it gives me that power. It gives me that edge over you. The feeling of leverage. You don't want to give it up. And that's why we continue to hold on, on to it. And then number five, why do we refuse to forgive? We refuse to forgive because we don't want to give up the, satis- we don't want to give up the satisfaction of seeing the offender suffer. In other words, you know that they have done you something wrong. And you want to see them suffer. But you have this idea that if I forgive them, they will not be able to suffer. That they will get away without, you know, without, without facing the consequences. Because you don't want to give up that particular feeling. What happened? You want to continue to hold them so that you can enjoy. And say, yes, I told you. Yes, I was right. You want to have that feeling, that satisfaction of seeing your offender suffer. And that is one of the reasons why people don't want to let go. You find out and say, I can't, I can't have closure. Because I don't think he has paid for what he has done. I don't think he has suffered enough. That is one of the reasons. You want to see, you don't want to give up that satisfaction of seeing those people suffer. That's one of the reasons why we hold on. And then number six, which is what a lot of people do, but they will not acknowledge it. The reason we refuse to forgive is because we don't want to give up the convenient excuse that unforgiveness gives us. It was because my father did this to me, that's why I'm like this. It was because my wife did this to me, that's why I'm like this. It was because my teacher did this to me, that's why I'm like this. There is an excuse for not moving forward. The excuse for not being able to make progress in life. The excuse for not being doing what we're supposed to do. We continue to blame it on what has happened years ago, even when we don't even know what was happening at that point in time. But because somebody will listen to somebody and they say, well, because you were not hugged enough, that's why you have problem hugging people. And so anytime you don't say it's because of what my father did, they never hugged me enough, they never gave me enough praise, they never gave me enough affirmation. And we find a convenient excuse that unforgiveness provides. And that is one of the reasons why people refuse to forgive. It is very convenient to blame our misfortune in life on the wrongdoings committed against us. Now, these are just some of the examples why people find it very difficult to forgive. The interesting thing is that those who refuse to forgive, they forget the impact of unforgiveness upon their own lives. Because unforgiveness has an impact upon your own life. Unforgiveness has a way of messing up with you, of messing with your life, of messing with your relationship. So the question is, what does unforgiveness do to you? What does it do to your relationship? What does it do to your work with God? What does it do to your when you do to your career? What does it do to your finances? What does it do to your life? What does unforgiveness do to you? Number one, unforgiveness robs you of whatever God has in stock for you. Because as soon as you continue to hold on to it, you are not able to receive what God has in store for you. The grace that He has for you, the peace of mind that He has for you, that He has for you, the things that God has purposed for you, you will not be able to receive as long as we are holding on to the offenses that somebody has done for you years ago. Number two, what does unforgiveness do for you? Unforgiveness blocks the flow of the blessings of God. As long as you are holding on to you, it not only robs you of what you have already, it blocks the flow of the mercy, of the grace, and of the anointing, and all the things that God has in stock for you, it blocks that particular flow. So you are not able to receive anymore. You are not able to enjoy the blessings of God anymore. You are not able to enjoy the joy of a relationship anymore. You are not able to enjoy the joy of companionship anymore. Because as long as you are on, as long as you hold a grudge against a partner, why would you sit down with that partner and cuddle with that partner? There is this unforgiveness inside of you. There is something that is going to repel the two of you. There is something that is going to be a wedge between the two of you. Unforgiveness blocks the flow of blessings into our life. Number three. 
unforgiveness holds you captive to the past. It holds you captive to the past. When you refuse to let go, what it does is that it changes you to that particular past. The reason is because you keep reliving the same issue over and over and over again. Anytime you see that sister, you remember what they did against you. Anytime you see that brother, you remember that conversation that you are holding on to. Anytime you see that man or you see that woman or you come into that environment, you continue to regress back into that situation. And if you live long enough in that regressive state, you find that progress becomes elusive. So when you refuse to forgive, what you find is that you are held captive to the past. And that is why you listen to some popular people on TV. The only time, the only legitimacy they have to fame, the only thing that they claim, the only claim that they have to relevance in this society today is what they did maybe 50 years ago. And every time they talk, they always bring it back. I remember when I was marching with Dr. Martin Luther King. Do you think if Martin Luther King was still here, we still continue to harp on that? He'll probably be doing something better with his life. He'll probably be doing more great creative initiative instead of hanging on to those things. But what I'm saying is that if you refuse to let go, if you refuse to release the people who have offended you, what you find is that you are held captive to the past. And then finally, when you refuse to let go, you chain yourself to the source of your hurt. You chain yourself to that particular situation that is hurting you. You chain yourself to that individual that has hurt you. You chain yourself to that circumstances that have hurt you. Because every time you remember, you remember, so let's assume you have been abused by a father or, a, or an authority figure. You continue to chain yourself to that person. Because that person, either directly or indirectly, either consciously or unconsciously, has that hold and that control over your life. Because they control the way you feel anytime you see it. They control the way you see life from that point of view. They control the things that you do because you are still chained to the source of your hurt unless you let it go unless you let it go so when we refuse to forgive we chain ourselves to the source of that particular hurt and then what does unforgiveness do for you? unforgiveness costs you more than you think you are benefiting it costs you more, it costs you your relationship it costs you your health it costs you provision. It costs you God's blessings. It costs you fellowship. It costs you the anointing. It costs you a lot of things. Thank you very much for listening to our program today. We invite you to join us every Sunday at 10 a.m. for our Sunday worship service at 2711 Murfreesboro Road in Antioch, Tennessee. We also host Bible study and prayer meetings every Friday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at www.lifelonganointing.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. Join us next time for another edition of Fresh Encounter. On behalf of Lifelong Anointing Church, we thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.